So I don't know if we have any hikers in the room. Actually, I do know we've got some hikers in the room. Um, and whether you're a hiker or not, um, you can imagine two different scenarios on a hike. One would be on the top of the mountain after you've uh, ascended and you up there and this is a mountain with a view. Not all of them have views. Imagine a mountain with a view and the vista uh, spreads out for miles and miles and miles in every direction. And you can see off in the distance, the horizon, other mountains and, and uh, just imagine that beauty. And then imagine the another uh, part of a hike where you're in the valley and you're surrounded by trees and all you can see is the path directly around you. So for some of you that brings up a lot of memories. For others, it's something we can imagine, but I think we can imagine those two pictures. So um, on the mountain, if you look out at the horizon, it's hard to detect, depending on the view, but it's often the case, the, the details of the horizon are, are hard to differentiate. It's a bit blurry. To, you can see mountains, but you might not be able to tell which is closer to you than the, the other and what the distance is between them. It all kind of is difficult to see if you're looking in a far, far distance. Well, the Bible contains elements that we can use both of these pictures as an illustration to describe because sometimes the Bible gives us a picture of the vast uh, horizon of, of human history and God's dealing with us, his creation. We, we can see back in time, we can see forward in time. Uh, the, the Bible sometimes gives these vast vistas of what God is doing. But then the Bible also contains stories of people in the midst of a situation. And the, the, the situation is pressing in on the story. And so the details, perhaps, of what God is doing might be hard to stand, uh, hard to understand or hard to differentiate. But in both cases, God is at work. And we have to be careful that we understand what God wants us to see in that picture because God has a view that is much better than ours. But he gives us pictures to help us understand what he's doing in the world. And so as we open God's word today and we look at Matthew, excuse me, Mark chapter 13, we're going to be looking at one of these uh grand vistas of what God is doing embedded in a story of Jesus and his disciples. And we want to understand what God is saying here because he's telling us about what it looks like when Jesus appears. So I want to take a look at this, at this story. And I want us to be careful that we don't try to uh, differentiate things in the scene that is only God's prerogative to understand, but is not for us to try to unpack. We want to get the real picture of what it means for Jesus to appear. 
I'll give a disclaimer as we start this. There's lots of folks that give lots of different teachings on this, the end times, the second coming of Christ. What I'm about to say may or may not be congruent with what you've heard before. And so if you're troubled by that, please let me know afterward. However, we're going to look very carefully at what Scripture says. And so let's pay attention to the vista God lays out for us. We'll start reading in Mark chapter 13, verse 1. It says, As Jesus was leaving the temple, one of the disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. You see all these great buildings, replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another. Every one will be thrown down. Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple. Peter, James, and John, and Andrew asked him privately, tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? So in this story, let's take make some observations of, of where the disciples and Jesus are along this path of the story. Let's, let's kind of take a look at the path they're on right here because this is embedded the teaching that Jesus is about to give of the grand view of history is embedded in this story of Jesus and his disciples we need to pay attention to that says Jesus and the disciples were leaving the temple we want to notice throughout the this this chapter Mark 13 the comings and goings and direction of Jesus. Let's let's pay attention. So what are they doing? They're leaving the temple. All right? And they're looking at the buildings and the and the and the the disciples, fishermen from Galilee and and the rest in the big city. They're saying, "Wow, look at the big buildings," right? And that's what I would do too. And that's part of the, uh, what God designed the temple uh, to be the tabernacle first and then the temple. It was to display some of the magnificence of what it is to worship God. So, yeah, look at the big buildings. And what does Jesus say? He, he says it's all coming down. All right. And then verse 3, let's not miss it. Where are they? They're sitting on the Mount of Olives. So they've walked from the temple up to the Mount of Olives, and then there's this question that some of the disciples ask, and we don't know if the others are listening or not, but uh, uh, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked, when will these things happen? What will be the sign they're about to, to happen? It's basically one question, but kind of a, 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 a question. When, when, when is the temple going to be torn down? What is going to lead up to it? Right? That's what they're asking. That's the question. The question in this story that is about Jesus and the disciples, the path that they're on in uh, this last week of Jesus' life is when will the temple be destroyed, Jesus? That's the question. And they are sitting on the Mount of Olives when he asked when when uh, when their Jesus asked the disciples asked Jesus the question and he's about to give their answer so I I, I want to pay a little bit of attention to set the scene for this 
story, this, this, this uh, uh, part of the story, this pathway that they're on, which then goes into the teaching that gives a big uh, sweep of, of, of history. Let, let's uh, let's uh, imagine, if you will, all right, Jerusalem in the first century at the time when this was written. Now, if you were to visit Jerusalem today, I've not done that, done this, and I hope someday to do that, Lord willing, that'd be wonderful. Uh, but if you were to visit Jerusalem uh, today, there is no temple on the Temple Mountain, but the Temple Mountain is there, and there's this big platform that is similar to the platform on which the uh, temple was built, but there is uh, now a, a Muslim shrine, the Dome of the Rock and the Al-Aqsa Mosque that is on that huge platform that is on what the Bible calls the Temple Mount. And um, so if you were on the Mount of Olives about a, a mile away, about a mile to the, to the uh, what is it, to the, to the west of Jerusalem, you'd look over the Kidron Valley and over the area where today there are still olive trees that are planted there and the garden the garden of gethsemane would have been there all these uh um this setting that would have uh that is is part of this story of jesus and his disciples um if if you were to look back at the temple a mile away you get a sense here that when Jesus left the temple with his disciples, they had a hike there, about a mile hike, and they went down into the valley and then up on top of the Mount of Olives, and that would have been a, a, a um, logical resting place, right? They would have made some, uh, some elevation climb, and so they were, they were resting, and this question gets asked. But the, um, the, the, the Mount of uh, the Temple Mount. Not a huge mountain by many standards, right? But it was huge, significantly and symbolically huge in the minds of ancient Israel and the Jewish people of Jesus' day because the temple is where God met with his people and where worship took place. And so any time somebody was going to Jerusalem, a Jew was going to Jerusalem, Wherever they were in the world and whatever their relative elevation was, when they started that travel, they always said they were going up to Jerusalem. Why is that? Because the intersection of God meeting with his people, his, the, the footstool of the throne of heaven, as it's sometimes called, the, the throne of God on earth, you always go up to the throne of God. And so that... Uh, mountain, that platform, that was um, considered where God met with his people. You always went up to it. And when Jesus and his disciples and his ministry, and, and as we've seen in Mark and as they're traveling here, there, and other places, when it was time to go to Jerusalem, said they needed to go up to Jerusalem. And when they uh, got there, we've We've looked through it over the past few weeks. Uh, on, on Sunday, when they arrived in, in Jerusalem, at, it, we call that Palm Sunday. You remember that? And um, 
So from that day until the crucifixion, Jesus and his disciples were staying in Bethany, which is just on the other side of the Mount of Olives from Jerusalem. So about two miles, give or take, a two-mile walk from Bethany up over the Mount of Olives down to the Kindred Valley and then up into the temple. So Sunday, you remember, triumphal entry, they went in and rode on the donkey up into Jerusalem, Hosanna, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then Jesus goes and looks around, and then he leaves. That's Sunday, right? And then Monday, come back over the Mount of Olives from Bethany and down into the Kidron Valley. And uh, there, there, was, um, there, there was something that happened that day as Jesus was walking up into the temple. And when he got to the temple, he, he cleansed the temple. You remember that? He turned over the tables and, uh, of the money changers. Uh, but on the way up, you remember what happened? We just looked at it. There was this thing with a fig tree. So in Mark, Mark 11, this is on Monday, Mark 11, says the next day, that's after the triumphal entry, as they were leaving Bethany, imagine, going up over the hill, Mount of Olives, uh, Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance, so where was it? It was in a distance, so we don't know. Somewhere between Bethany and Jerusalem. In the distance, so at least a distance from Bethany. Don't know where it was, but let's say it was halfway. Somewhere uh, where there was, a, there was a, uh, the ability to see Jerusalem. That's a logical place that it would be. So seeing in a distance a fig tree and leaf, he went to find, find out if it had any fruit. When he reached it, found nothing but leaves because it's not the season for figs. They said to the tree, may no, one ever, may no one ever eat fruit from you again. And the disciples heard him say it. And then it goes on. And then he goes in and he cleanses the temple. Right? And then in verse 19... Remember, this is Monday, Sunday, tri triumphal entry, Monday. There's a lot of stuff going on this week. Monday, curses the fig tree, go in, cleanses the temple. And verse 19, when evening came, Jesus' disciples went out of the city. Verse 20, in the morning. So what day is this? It's Tuesday, right? In the morning. So they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Peter remembered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, look, the tree you curse is withered. Have faith in God, Jesus answered. Truly I tell you, anyone, if anyone says to this mountain, doesn't say to a mountain, right? Jeffrey Lee mentioned this a couple weeks ago when he covered this passage. If anyone says to this mountain, he's pointing to a mountain. What mountain is he pointing to? He's pointing to the temple mountain. He's pointing to that platform. If anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea does not doubt in their heart, but believes that what they say will happen. It will be done for them. Jesus, who has just cleansed the temple, and what did he say when he turned the uh, tables over and, and uh, went through that, that act of, of uh, disrupting what was happening? He said, uh, my, God said this uh, will be a house of prayer, but you've, you've turned it into a den of robbers. In other words, uh, the true worship of God has been stolen 
from the people that God wants to worship him. Jeffrey Lee talked about that a couple years, a couple, couple years, a couple weeks ago. And, um, and so Jesus is saying, if you say to this mountain, be destroyed, it will be. So now we can go back to Mark 13 and pick up where we left off. The disciples asked, when, so when's this going to happen? Jesus says, this is going to happen. The temple's going to be destroyed. He said that morning, as they were walking in and they saw the fig tree, he said, anyone who says to this mountain, be thrown into the sea, it'll happen. And then as they're leaving, he's saying, it's going to be destroyed. They're saying, when is it going to happen? Verse 5, Mark 13, Jesus said to them, watch out. No one deceives you. Many will come in my name, claiming um, he will deceive many. Near wars, rumors of wars, don't be alarmed, such things must happen. The end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places, famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. Must be on your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils, flogged in the synagogue on account of me. You'll stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you're arrested and brought to trial, don't worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given to you at the time, for it's not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Pause here for a second. So what's the question being asked? When will this happen? When will what happen? The temple be destroyed. Well, there's all kinds of bad things. And we have a list of them that there. And I'm not going to go through each one of them, but we will make a couple observations. It says in verse 8 that uh, some of these bad things this is the beginning of birth pains, right? So this is going to, this is going to be a process. It's not going to happen just uh, all at once. It's, so it's going to be a process, all right? So like labor is a process when a woman delivers. Uh, and sometimes the process is longer than others. Uh, it's a process we understand. Uh, all right, the labor pains are beginning, but the uh, result is going to be the temple comes down. But then verse 10, it says, but the gospel must first be preached to all nations. And the verse, verse 9 talks about being witnesses to Jesus in front of all kinds of different people. So in the midst of these bad things, Jesus is saying, there's good news. That's what the gospel means, right? Bad things happening, predicting a horrible thing, the temple coming down, but there's good news in the midst of bad things. Stop for a second. Is, is that worth noting? Does it ever feel like world's coming down? You ever feel like in the valley there, uh, not on the mountaintop experience, in the valley and it's raining and you're tripping and you're hurting, <laughs> whatever, you fill in the blanks, bad, bad things are happening, there's good news. That good news has something to do with Jesus as we will move forward. And so before the temple is destroyed, Jesus is saying, gospel, the good news, is going to be preached to all nations. So when has the good news about Jesus been preached to all nations? Well, 
we are people of the Bible, if we took the time and go through, just we can look it up later, all right? But uh, there in, in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit descended on the uh, disciples after Jesus ascended into heaven, says there were people gathered from all nations on the earth who heard the disciples preach the gospel with uh, languages that they hadn't learned. And the, uh, the, the descent of the Holy Spirit uh, allowed the gospel to be preached. If we believe the Bible, the gospel is preached to all nations from day one of the church. Many would say that's when the church started, the Holy Spirit descended. So the gospel was preached to all nations. If we follow uh, the, um, the, the wanderings of the apostles and the acts of the apostles, we see it went through, the gospel went through all the, uh, the known world at the time, the, the Roman world. If we look at uh, Paul's letters, he's, he's, uh, he's trying to get to Spain. I mean, there, the gospel was preached throughout all the world in the time of the New Testament. And even today, the gospel continues to be preached through all the world. I've heard it said that, well, this, the gospel hasn't been preached to every single individual that is alive right now, and that's what this means. That's not what this means. This means that the good news is going out. The good news went out immediately when the Holy Spirit descended and continues to go out today. There's good news going out. Jesus says the good news has to go out before the process that would bring the temple down took place. Let's continue to next verse, verse 12. Brother will betray brother to death of father's child. Children will rebel against parents and have them put to death. Everyone will hate you because of me. The one who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. I'm going to talk about that. Let the reader understand. Note that. Then, let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let no one on the housetop go down and enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get their cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women, nursing mothers. Pray that this will not take place in winter. Because those will be the days of distress, unequal from the beginning when God created the world until now and never will be equaled again. For if the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive. But for the sake of the elect, whom he's chosen, he's shortened them. That time, if anyone says to you, look, here's Messiah, or look, there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. What is Jesus talking about here? What's the question that was asked for him? When will the temple be destroyed? He says these things are going to happen. It's a lot of bad things, right? A lot of bad things. There in the midst of it, in verse 14, he talks, he says, about this abomination that causes Desolation. When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong, when we have, have this, these words, let the reader understand. If we're not paying attention, we could, we could miss this fact. Jesus didn't say that. 
That isn't Jesus' words. How do we know? Because he, he is not, uh, he didn't write this down and then tell, tell his disciples, read this. He's telling it to them. This is Mark recording what Jesus said, and church history tells us Mark got it from Peter. All right, Peter was there, so Peter heard this. Peter has told this story, and uh, Mark is writing it down, and Mark wants us to pay attention here. And when it mentions this abomination that causes desolation, because there's uh, this this, uh, vista that Jesus is uh, portraying for his disciples could be easily misunderstood, and I would say it is very much misunderstood throughout church history and, and today, and we have to be careful that we don't misunderstand it, and even as we try really hard, we're still going to be fuzzy on the details, but Mark is saying, this is complicated, so pay attention, understand what is being said here. What is he pointing out? He's pointing out this abomination that causes desolation, that's somehow being significant. So what is that talking about? Well, the book of Daniel has this phrase. It pops up again and again. And so if we are paying attention and we're thinking, okay, this could be We could misunderstand Mark 13. It could be a little complicated. So let's try to uh, bring some clarity to it. What could we do to bring clarity to what is uh, kind of hard to understand? In my mind, Daniel wouldn't be the first place to go to bring clarity because Daniel's a weird book, right? If you understand Daniel, there's all these pictures of monsters that are uh, trying to destroy everything and visions. And in the midst of that, there's actual uh, beasts uh, that pit hungry lions and fiery furnaces. And that's how we get clarity is by going to Daniel. Well, that's what Mark said. Let the reader understand. Jesus is referencing Daniel. In Daniel, what is the abomination that causes desolation? Shows up three times. Daniel 9, 27 says he'll confirm a covenant with many. Uh, for one seven in the middle of the seven, he'll put an end to the sacrifice and offering the temple. At the temple, is set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out to them. So is it clear now? Well, not really, but let's go on. Uh, Daniel 11.31 says, His armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. They'll set up an abomination that causes desolation. Are we getting it yet? Well, maybe not. What about the next time it shows up? Daniel 12.11, From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished... And the abomination that causes desolation is set up. There will be 1,290 days. Well, that settles it, right? Well, no, not really. Okay, so there's lots of confusion here still, but what is clear? Can we pull out something that's clear here? How about this? When the abomination that causes desolation shows up, sacrifice in the temple stops. Is that clear from these passages? Pretty clear. So Jesus was asked a question. The question was, when is the temple going to be destroyed? Jesus said, it has something to do with the abomination 
that causes desolation, which is something that puts an end to true worship in the temple. We wouldn't necessarily know from just reading these passages, but abomination in Scripture, very often it, it refers to idolatry, and it, it has to do with uh, those, those things that can divert our attention from true worship of God to other things. And in Jesus' day, the Roman armies that um, were occupying uh, Judea and, in fact, had um, uh, legionnaires that were stationed in Jerusalem itself, the, the, uh, the Roman army had standards that they would set up and uh, they had uh, from those outside Rome and even within those that were part of the uh, uh, Roman army themselves, the way they treated these standards, these standard standards which were uh, uh, images that were on large poles with flags that would kind of be, uh, march in front of the army and lead them into battle. Uh, there, there was, at, at the very least, a superstitious um, uh, sense around these that these brought good luck to the army and for those on the outside looking in could almost uh, say that they worshipped and that the standards would have their own tent in the middle of the, the camp and there would be rituals around them and so uh, many would say that the abomination that causes desolation that Jesus is talking about is when the Roman armies marched into Jerusalem that's possible they brought their standards with them but regardless regardless Abomination that causes desolation is, has to do with anything that diverts true worship away from God. Let the reader understand, Mark said. But in pointing our attention to Daniel, I think he's also preparing us for what Jesus is about to say next because there's another passage from Daniel that is relevant for what Jesus is about to say. So in Daniel chapter 7, abomination that caused desolations all over the place, chapter 9, 11, 12, here and 7, embedded kind of in the middle of, of the book is a picture. Tell, tell me if this is or is not clear because I, I think this makes a whole lot of sense. Daniel 7 verse 9, Daniel in his vision, he says, I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat, his clothing was as white as snow, the hair of his head was white like wool, his throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. It goes on and it talks about this throne room. I think, I don't know, call me crazy, that sounds like God on his throne in heaven to me. Right, I think that's a picture. That's obviously the picture here. We're in the throne room of God himself, the ancient of days. And then the passage goes on It talks about you know, the crazy, evil monsters, the political powers trying to do their thing. But God is on his throne. He's going to deal with it. And then we get down to verse 13. And this is how God is going to deal with the, the evil nations that are trying to thwart God's uh, purposes on earth. In verse 13 of Daniel 7, in my vision at night, I looked. There before me was one like a son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days was led into his presence, was given authority, glory, sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshipped him. His dominions and everlasting dominion 
that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is language that is familiar to anybody that's a student of the New Testament. For a Christian that hears uh, uh, you know, sermons preached on, on who Jesus is, this stuff is a description that the New Testament applies to Jesus as the Son of God, here the Son of Man, which title is used of Jesus throughout the Gospels, of him being brought to the Ancient of Days and be, being given all power, dominion, and authority. But the language here that it talks about is about the Son of Man coming with the clouds of heaven. I said earlier that it was important for us to notice the direction that people, particularly Jesus, is moving throughout the story, right? We started by saying he's leaving Jerusalem. And then, next thing we know, he's on top of the Mount of Olives. It's important to understand what Jesus is doing. So we also mentioned that the temple in Jerusalem, for any Jew going toward the temple, they were always going what direction? They were going up, right? Well, if that's true of Jerusalem, this is the very throne room of God. How do you approach the throne room of God? What direction do you go? You go up. So when it says Jesus is coming in the clouds of heaven, what direction is he going? He's going up to the throne room of God. Let the reader understand, Mark said. Something back in Daniel you want to bring forward. Because Jesus just mentioned the abomination that des caused desolation. He's about to mention something else from Daniel. So let's, let's see what that is. So back in Mark 13, verse 23, remember the question, when will the temple be destroyed? What are the things that are going to lead up to that event? Jesus has told them the things that are going to lead up to that event, all these bad things. It's going to be good news in the midst of the bad things. It's going to be a process, but all these bad things. In the midst of it, the, the good news is going to be preached to all people. But then verse 23 says, So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following the distress... The sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from heaven, heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. He'll send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. What's the question? When will the temple be destroyed? Jesus said, when people see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, that's when the temple will be destroyed. He goes on, verse 28, says, now learn this lesson from the fig tree. What fig tree? Has there been any fig tree that has entered this story? Learn this lesson from the fig tree. That fig tree he cursed. The fig tree that that morning was withered. 
the fig tree that Jesus then turned from and said, if you have faith, you can remove this mountain, the temple. Verse 28, learn a lesson from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender, its leaves come out. Know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it's near right at the door. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will not pass. Will, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. About the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son of Man, but only the Father. So let me ask this question. Do you believe the Bible? Rhetorical question. I'm looking out at you. I think you do. I'd like to think I do. We believe the words of Jesus. Is it important that we understand these words that are somehow inspired by God, however that work, we believe it's true. These are God's words to us. Do we pay attention to the Bible? Because if we do, then Jesus said, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. What things? All the bad things, right? But also the coming of the Son of Man in the clouds of heaven. Well, we know from history that in AD 70, the Roman armies, uh, after uh, fighting throughout Judea and putting down the, 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 the war that took place when the Jews rose up, and then finally they, they entered into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple in 70 AD, and yes, marched those standards into Jerusalem. We know the temple was destroyed then. And all these things that Jesus said would happen, they happened. Including the gospel, good news being preached all around the, the Roman world. They all happened. But, what does that mean? Does that mean that Jesus isn't coming back? That he's already come? It's not what it means. You see, when God picks us up and puts us in a position where we can look at the vista of all of human history and see that he is uh, working out his plan for all of us. He gives us a, a, a picture, but we can't see the details. In fact, he tells us, don't get picky about the day, the hour. That's not yours to understand. It's just yours to understand what? That God is on the throne and his son has ascended to sit on the throne with him. That's what he wants us to understand. Jesus is on the throne. And we know that when Jesus died on the cross, rose again, met with his disciples, said, I want you to go into all the world, make disciples. I want to be with you always. Remember that? Matthew 28. Then in Acts chapter 1, when he's about to ascend into heaven, the, the disciples were still asking, when, when are you going to set up your kingdom? And he said again in Acts chapter 1, it's not for you to know the time and the, the season, but you'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Then he ascended into heaven, and then the angels showed up and said, 
Why are you looking at him? He's coming back. So Jesus is coming back. But implied in that statement by the, the angels is, you've got work to do. He just told you what to do. Why are you looking to heaven? Go get busy testifying to the fact that Jesus has ascended to the right hand of God. Jesus is in control. Jesus is in charge. Jesus has a plan. There's good news. Bad things are going to happen. But there's good news. Jesus is on the throne. Give testimony to that fact. So yes, Jesus came in the clouds of heaven as symbolic language to talk about through this whole process. He is at God's right hand. And when the temple was destroyed, that didn't take God by surprise. In fact, Jesus predicted it was going to going to happen but Jesus is still on the throne when bad things happen doesn't take God by surprise Jesus is still on the throne we're in the when we're in the valley and the 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 darkness and the 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 terror is raining down Jesus is still on the throne it doesn't take him by surprise bear witness to that fact and we'll finish with this verse 33 Jesus said after explaining all this so be on guard be alert You don't know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house, puts his servants in charge, each with their assigned tasks. He tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you don't know when the owner of the house will come back, whether it's evening or midnight, when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. So Jesus took this prediction of the temple being destroyed and then in these closing verses he uses it as an illustration to say yes this is going to happen but even after it happens you still need to be on guard because I'm coming back and so be busy doing my work regardless of what's going on be busy doing my work what does that work testifying to the fact that God is on the throne and Jesus is at his right hand. Folks, are we people that believe God's in control and Jesus is at his right hand? Do we? When things are going rough, what do we do? Do we testify to the fact, okay, Jesus is on the the throne. It's not to say we seek out bad times. They come our way. In fact, the stuff that Jesus talked about, the bad things, he, he said if you can get away from them, get away from them. Right? Run. You see them coming, run if you can get away. Ho- hopefully it doesn't happen, but it, it's going to be bad. But guess what? The gospel is still there. The good news is still in the midst of it. And, and God is still on the throne. Even though, from our perspective, we can't see, you know, all the, the, the details and the far horizon of what God doing, God is going to do and when this is going to happen or that is going to happen, it's not for us to know. All we need to know is that Jesus has ascended to the Ancient of Days and he's going to come back. He's going to set everything right. But in the meantime, it's our job to live like people that believe that God is on the throne. And Jesus is at his right hand. Let's pray together. So God, we ask you to cause us, as your people, put our attention, our focus where you desire us to have it. And that is on your son. And so as we go to your table now, 
and remember what made it possible for us to be your children, to be under the good news of, of, uh, of Jesus, the death and the resurrection of Christ. Help us to focus on that now and know that you're in control because of the sacrifice of your son. In Jesus' name.